Hey, do you believe in things that are like ineffable that you can't explain? You know, stuff happens oh, to you. Oh, ab- absolutely. absolutely. I believe in the great mystery. Yes. Well, deep, dark mystery. I put on uh, I, I put on a certain bro shirt and all of a sudden on Leave it to Beaver, there's an episode with a rat named Peter Gunn. How does that happen? Oh, wait, I wait, I wait. Just, a spoiler alert. I just what? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't say that. Oh, well, we better do this show so I can recover. Okay. okay. Hey, you're here. It's the bro show. You landed in the mm-hmm. perfect spot. Yep. It is really good to have everyone here with us. My name is Jerry. And my name's John. I had a soft landing, by the way. I just want to let everybody know that. When it's soft when we- landing? Yeah, for the show, you know, we landed here. Oh, soft landing. Okay. <laughs> it's soft. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, isn't that nice? Well, yeah. you know, John, we do this every Saturday. Well, we publish it every Saturday. When we record it as a mystery, we have to keep our locations undisclosed and our recording schedule because not everybody has the best wishes for uh, humanity. So we have to be careful. To be careful. I think it, I think it's important because you know it it would really be kind of bad or maybe not bad but it would be nervous make us nervous if we had to do a show in front of a lot of people that would be difficult to do <laughs> well <laughs> uh, I can't I couldn't possibly talk about that oh well we'll just have to save that for another day perhaps another day and I will just say plans are underway I can say no more okay, okay? sounds good. Hey, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Do we have do we have a do we have a shirt? Do we have a? We do have a shirt. We do have a shirt. I'm wearing the psychedelic rabbit shirt. How about you? I am wearing the season of the rat shirt from 2020. Oh. The second half of 2020. That was wow. the year of the rat. Seems so long ago. Yeah. So looking it good. It's got the old postage stamp on it. So mm. very very good feeling. But for the for the uninitiated, we, we do uh, seasons. Every six months we have a season, and we always have an animal for the season. And the animal this season is the rabbit. And we had a season of the rat. Yep. We borrow some of our animals from the Chinese New Year for the, you know, Lunar New Year. It's okay. They don't mind. Very good. Seem to it seems to be okay. Yep. Hey, uh. That that's the deal with the clothing. Uh, uh, John, do we have a sponsor? We do have a sponsor. Our sponsor okay. is the Animal Legal Defense Fund, and their oh. mission is to protect the lives and advance the interest of animals through the legal system, helping those mm. poor critters when they need them. Lawyers. So, what? How do they do that? They file these law impact, uh, high impact lawsuits to protect the animals. They get free legal advice, and they also support tough animal protection and i ran into something else let's say you're one of those lawyers who's tired of chasing ambulance and you want to do something else yeah well they provide employment opportunities in animal law for not only their own organization but also for law firms and other nonprofits. and best of all they provide us with swag oh swag yeah oh I got some swag from them. I got a t-shirt. I got a t-shirt. You gave it to me. 
yeah, it's yeah, it's all about uh, saving the orcas. It's one of those T-shirts. Yes, and I, I really like it. It's it's wonderful. It's a great color. The merchandise is excellent. You, you can get them through Bonfire. And by the way, that's where we have our merchandise also. So if you look at the show notes, it's got the links to all that stuff. If you are in a situation where you cannot see the show notes, for instance, if you're if you're you know on a stakeout, if you're a policeman, you're on a stakeout and you're listening to our podcast while you hunt down criminals, or if you're a criminal and you're waiting for you know a place to open up so you can rob it and you're listening to our, our podcast, then I will just tell you, if you want merchandise, go to merch.bro.show. I think we have a rabbit story, a pretty good one, We actually. sure do. Yes. In fact, uh, I need to give a shout out to a listener and good baseball friend of mine, Bob Martinez, a freelance baseball writer, who said to me uh, on a, after listening to our last show, he says, don't forget the rally rabbit. And I, I said, oh, so I did a Google search and I found this incredible animal called Alex the Great. What's kind of interesting is Bob was talking mm. about, about another rally rabbit in Milwaukee that's since retired. So I thought this rabbit's still alive and kicking. And so Alex is the one we're going to talk about. And what you can, who is Alex? Term. What is it? Yes. Uh, yes. Alex is a 32 pound, three year old Flemish giant rabbit and Flemish, I'm not real sure exactly what that is. Perhaps you can enlighten us as to what is a Flemish rabbit. They come from Belgium. They come from the northern part of Belgium, which is called Flanders. And uh, they they average in size 15 pounds. So Alex is 2X. He's twice the size. <laughs> okay. You know, Number that's one. important because he's got to wear a little thing on his body. Uh, yeah. to, to say, okay. say that he is a, a vest to see. So I'm glad you got his. I'm glad you found out his size. That's good. Yeah. And not just that, but you know, <laughs> did you know the average length of one of these guys is two and a half feet? So yeah. if he's stretching about three. It, mm. Yeah, exactly. So, hey, why don't, why don't you tell us about, you know, how he became well, Alex so the Great? Alex the Great, it, the story starts with a, a, a couple. Uh, he and uh, Josh Rowe, a volunteer rabbit rescuers, who went to a central uh, California rabbit and saved Alex. Uh, they talked the owner into sparing him because he was in a rather bl- had a bleak, li- bleak life on the farm. He was malnourished, covered with a lot of fleas and full of mud, this and that. But he, they took him home, gave him a lot of love and health uh, support, and nursed him back to the point that he was uh, his bubbling personality came out, and they said. They loved mm. him. They couldn't let go of him. They, they weren't going to, you know, put him up for uh, adoption someplace. So what they did is they found that there's this thing out in the San Francisco airport called the WAG Brigade. And uh, mm. they looked at it and says, you know what? Alex should be out there with this personality helping yeah. and making people feel calm. And that's what back. Uh, actually, it starts the the idea of having therapy animals at airports starts back in 2001 after 9-11. Uh, travelers were a little nervous and they felt that if they could bring therapy animals and most of these were dogs, it also had a little um, more popularity as we got through COVID and air travel was becoming, you know, thing to do, but still the idea of wearing masks on the airplanes, this and that frightened people. So bottom line is they took Alex out and they had to go to a special school and earn an animal assisted therapy license. Now, Alex was very challenged because you see these tests, 
are made for dogs. And they felt, ah, mm-hmm. I think Alex is going to have some trouble. But he came through with flying colors he and did. was able to qualify. Uh, so what's happened is that he is, he, they have a little stroller, a baby stroller that they put him on. And they cart him around through the airport. And he does this about three days a week, uh, you know, maybe for three or four hours per day. And mm. the, the people just love him. And if if Alex can look at you quite often and all of a sudden he gives you that look like, could you could I could I get on your lap and snuggle, please? So, I mean, that's oh. he's just a wonderful, wonderful animal. So. Um, and the other thing is that uh, what happened was, you know, Alex, he's got to do something, you know, hobbies, this and that when he's not working. So they yeah. decided that he needs to get about town. And sure enough, uh, he was he, they took him to a, a San Francisco Giants a, a baseball game and he was on the air. You know, all of a sudden they, the cameras put him on and, and everybody sees him and they say, wow, this is really cool. So now he's got a part time gig and he goes out occasionally to the ballpark and he's what wow. they call the rally rabbit. He's the San Francisco Giants rally rabbit. And quite often, you know, mm. you think about uh, about mascots and they're in costume. But Alex, he's a real animal. And so, yeah, he doesn't need one. He's the he's the real deal. Mm. So he has become the official rally rabbit uh, of the Giants and he does an incredible job. And so what we have here is we have one really good animal story. So that's wow. it in a nutshell. That is that is really superlative. Uh, you know they're not they're known for these traits, but I think Alex Flemish Giants. But I think Alex goes above and beyond. I You're think, right. Uh, yeah, I think I think he's got a special quality to him, and uh, you know he's just thinking about it. You know he's he's not as big as Harvey the Rabbit, but you know, he's he's getting there, isn't he? Yeah, he can still grow a little bit. Yeah, wow. He's a big guy. He is, but he's he's so gentle and and people just like to pet him, you know. And during COVID, I bet he was really handy to have around if he yeah, was there I mean, because because you know the anger of people people started developing these really weird behaviors on airplanes. You remember? Yep. They were yeah yeah fighting and stuff. Ooh, Ooh stewardesses were yeah. were referees, not flight attendants. You know. Let's yeah, they had that. to get combat training. They should get combat pay. Wow. Yeah, that was a hard time. Wow, but that's over. With. Yeah. All so, right. Very good. Hey, we got a word. We, have we do a have word. a word, John, it, and it's more than one word, but it's you know these words go together in a nice fashion. The word is young adult fiction. Young adult fiction. This is yes one of my one of my favorite genres. You know. Yeah, now, and actually. You would think that this word would not be, uh, you know, that well, young adult fiction. Everybody would know it, but common sense, word, right? Common sense, but we found out that some people just don't know exactly specifically what it is. No, and those people happen to be our my our brother and close friend who we have call, conversation with telephone every every week, and we mentioned the what we were going to do it on. We used that word, this word, young adult fiction, and before you know it, they said, "What's that?" And here we yeah. are. We're going to explain. No it. clue. I had to explain it. And, you know, so, you found a definition. It's better even than my explanation. Well, it, the definition I, I came up with is young adult fiction is literature in which the main characters engage in activities relatable to their lives as teenagers. Um, 
And we found through, uh, I found this by actually learning some of the etymology of the word, the designation of young adult fiction was originally developed in the 1950s by librarians uh, as a selection of books to help teenagers make the transition between children's books and adult literature. You do a pretty good job with, res with respect to explaining it because what's, what I find intriguing about this type of, of uh, literature is that it has so, mostly the same themes as adult books do. But yeah, they the do. The, the difference is it, it's it's tilted toward a younger audience, and also the um, it's more romance than sex. And if there is sex, right. uh, it's not explicit. Uh, right. It may be referred to in the past tense, or it just may not uh, you know go as far as you know intercourse right. or something like that. Yeah, but uh, it's very easy reading uh, and. It's high on the the romance uh, meter, you know. Right. There's you know, yeah, and a lot of a lot of attention gets put some, put on things like the first kiss or you know the first boyfriend holding hands, things like that. It seems kind of juvenile, but it's if you read a good young adult fiction book, they it kind of takes you back, you know, to being in high school. And most of them are about being in high school that I've read. And the thing is, is you can have sub-genres also. In other words, right. you don't have to just have, you know, coming of age or something like that, which would be a natural, you know, sub-genre. Well, that yeah. kind of leads us right into our, uh, our two takes, which is a book, yeah, an, a, a young adult fiction book. And uh, it, it's an amazing story. So, I'm like, mm. so I think we can kind of talk a little bit about it in terms of the fact that came up with this idea based upon one day uh, one time we're having a telephone conversation we start you mentioned this book it's called, the name of the book is lies we tell ourselves and yeah. uh got to be careful with this title if you google it because you need to put the author with it because that, that's a very common yeah. title and the, mm. the author's name is robin robin tally we'll talk a little bit about her but when you started giving me the synopsis of this book and I mean, you're going on and it's like, I didn't stop you. You know, you know, it's like five minutes, uh, keep going, keep going. Before I know it, you give me 15, <laughs> 20 minutes of, of, the, of the story. And I say, wow, this is an incredible story. And my yeah, first thought is. was, and I ran into a wall. It hasn't been made into a movie. Uh, yeah. and, and that we, we'd never been able to si solve uh, why it yeah. hasn't. But we know a mystery. through other young adult books that uh, young adult fiction books that this is not unusual because we did a show on the the book by judy bloom are you there god it's me margaret and found out that took well over 35 40 years before it got Maybe yeah there's a movie still in there for but i hope so so the, the deal is you talked about having different uh sub genres within it this book yeah covers a lot of that and it's uh, in the setting of this book the story takes place during one of america's dark periods when it addresses those days back in the 50s when we were trying when schools, public schools, had to make that transition from segregation to integration, based upon the Brown versus Board of Education Act, 1954, where the Supreme Court ruled that segregated public schools were unconstitutional. What they didn't address, though, is when, how quickly do you have to do that? They were very broad, saying as fast as you can, and we find that many, many schools mm. were very slow at doing that. And this yeah. is the setting of this book where we find a school that uh, in 1959, 
Jefferson High School, fictional school located in a fictional town called D Davisburg, Virginia, mm -hmm. has got this has got to make this transition by basically having 10 African-American students chosen to integrate Jefferson. And we've yep. got two very strong characters that not only the setting is part of the subgenre, that they also bring this coming of age, but they put a, a special twist to it. So maybe you could explain who the characters are and what that twist is. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, the, this is, first of all, just by way of uh, intro. Yeah, this is one of my favorite books. I've read it three times. I like it so, so yeah. much. And it is so memorable and so well written. Uh, after the second time I read it, I, I had to ask myself, is this a movie? You know, have yeah. I seen the movie? You know, because it's you visualize these characters. And also, I am one of these people who does judge a book by its cover, unfortunately. And uh, the cover on this is incredibly, uh, incredibly good. And so uh, I loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. And it's a story of, of several kids. Uh, the grown-ups play a much smaller role in uh, in this this story. But the two main characters, one of them is Sarah Dunbar. She's a very intelligent senior. She comes from a black high school, and uh, she's at the top of her class. She's fluent in French, uh, advanced in mathematics, and all kinds of stuff. And so uh, Sarah and nine other students uh, in, are, are selected to be the first to integrate this high school. And they and it was brutal, John. Brutal the scenes, and the book starts right out with it. So it's immediate conflict, yelling, screaming, spitting. Police who would yes. not lift a finger to help them to get into the school. Uh, uh, you know, uh, other uh, other people within the, the administration and the teachers. They just didn't care at all, and sometimes they're downright. Uh, you know angry at, the, at mm -hmm. these students so it was it was something so what happens is the first day first period there's an assembly and so first day of school right so they do it and right off the bat as she's sitting down sarah sees this attractive red-headed girl a few rows back and just makes eye contact with her and immediately turns around and sits down and goes, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I'm attracted to that girl. This can't be. I can't do this. No, no. But she's so she she is uh, she's gay and she right. always has been. And she's been keeping it under wraps and keeping it pinned in the corner. And it got out suddenly and she puts it back in place again. And sure enough, these two characters, the whole book revol revolves around them and their relationship and you know after a period of time you know they get thrown in they're in french class together and of course the black students are all sent to remedial classes because they thought they were poorly educated but these are the top 10 students for the yeah. black high school so, <laughs> so it's one of those things you know and uh so she she ends up in french class with uh with linda linda harrison linda is the other so, girl yeah and yeah. Boy, her background with respect to her family uh, really kind of ingrains in her some of the, the worst parts of, of being a racist. Uh, 
her well, father. Yeah, has. the worst. The worst is because her father is highly educated and subtle and sneaky about the way he does it. And these are these are the worst racists, the ones who aren't blatant and aren't, you know, cartoonish. And he's not. He's an editor of the big paper in town there. And has influence over the whole state. Right. And so she constantly tries to win his approval. And so she is like her father. She's not yelling and spitting at, at these students. She's sneering at them and re- refusing to sit next to them and, you know, trying to educate them and, and teach them what their place is and all this stuff. So immediately her and Sarah uh, lock horns and. uh you won't believe what happens to him. I feel like I shouldn't tell you. You should. You well, should be able to read the book and find out. But yeah, I would imagine something happens to it is it's them. a very, but it's a slow process. This isn't like one day they all of a sudden the light bulb goes off. It's no. it, it's it naturally flows through, and that's what makes the book so good. Uh, you know that it's well written so hint. that they can. Do, okay, I'm ready. They're they're both gay. <laughs> Linda and Sarah are both gay. <laughs> There's your hint, and you can you can't imagine so, how it happens though. That's the good part. Yeah, you yeah. can't imagine how it happens. It's and and Linda becomes educated by Sarah, not vice versa, which is really right. cool. Anyway, so I, I loved it, and you know, John, how accurate do you think this book is, though, John? Did you look into that? No, well, I the thing is that what I like liked it, it's historic fiction. So that means that what they do is they oh, and the, the author, Robert, uh, Robin Talley, who is also gay, uh, that's and we find out that this book is her debut book that came out in 2014, had numerous awards. But back to your question as to, well, uh, is it accurate? Well, what it does is it does an incredible job of being accurate in terms of the of of having the feelings of the various students in it because yeah. Robin has done the research by going back and reading uh, accounts and she's from, uh, she's living in Washington, D.C. and she went to Arlington, Virginia Library close by and found mm. five schools that had very detailed accounts of what went on. But the most important thing that she found in her treasure trove of information was memoirs actually written feelings of these various students on both sides, which then gave right. her an opportunity to the piece of this puzzle, which she she kind of knows fairly well because she's gay, is the part with respect mm-hmm. to the relationship of the two main characters. But she wanted to put it in that setting. She had that going for her. The author also mm-hmm. had something else. Her parents also were from Virginia they went to a high school that had to go through this process of integration and she got to hear the stories of her family of her mother and father that inspired her to take the, her normal theme of uh, of sexual identity in her young adult books and then add this layer of integration in the setting of the times in the 50s so that i thought was yeah. really really interesting so if you if you haven't read any historical fiction about this period, read it. If you have read historical fiction about uh, this period, read it. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. all I could say. It's, yeah. it's a really good book. It's a Harlequin uh, teen book. And Harlequin has a uh, you know reputation of being like these soppy uh, romance books. But they are they have really matured and done very well over the years. And this is this is an outstanding example of what that publishing house is is doing. And. 
Proud to and, be one uh, of the readers. And I think that uh, I, I go a little bit looking at reviews, and there had and some of this the the words that are used uh, to describe it: well paced, engrossing, a well handled debut book, piercing look at the courage it takes to endure, and and this sort of thing. The the reviews really concentrate on not only the the subject matter, but the fact that it is done and developed so well, which I think is important too. That's what makes it a page turner, right? Yep, you got it, buddy. So read the book. Uh, We've got links to everything you need to know about all this stuff in the show notes. And now it is time for what, John? It's time for Groaners. And our Groaners are provided to us by Vincent Anthony Lauder, Jr. And sure enough, we've got he came up with one very good one. But I've also uh, got I got a couple. So let's go through. Okay, first one. What do you call a bank account that you and your wife use only for arthritic arthritis medication and marijuana expenditures? (laughs) Now, there's three hints here as to what this word is that this account would be called to describe this account. You got a husband and wife, you've got marijuana, and you've also got arthritis. And all of these lead to the one word that describes this this account. And that word is joint. It's a joint account. Oh, oh my God. (laughs) You got husband and wife. You've got arthritis joints, and you've also got the marijuana. Thank you for explaining it to your dim-witted brother. (laughs) Thank you so much. And also the the listening audience, which isn't as dim as you are, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Okay. Burn. Okay. What is the best advice you can give a beginner taking up cross-country skiing. What is the best advice you can give a beginner taking up cross-country skiing? Start with a small country. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) That's very good. (laughs) Oh, 